Bishop Athanasius Schneider, a great friend of LifeSite News, said to me a few years ago, prepare your children for martyrdom. Martyrdom, I thought. It sounds kind of frightening and perhaps a little unrealistic for children in the West, maybe a few years ago. But with totalitarianism having sprung up all over the world, in fact, especially in the West in the last couple of years, especially in North America and Europe and beyond, I now see the foresight in Bishop Snyder's counsel and have actually begun to explain the concept to my own children. It may sound strange, this topic in the wake of Christmas, but let me show you how it makes perfect sense in light of the little divine child of Bethlehem. This is John Henry Weston's show. Stay tuned. Let's begin as we always do with the sign of the cross. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. No one knows what the future holds. You may live to be a hundred, or today, literally, could be your last day. Beyond that, it seems unlikely that the world is going back to the old normal. And do we even want it to go back to that old normal of abortion, same-sex marriage, pornography, trans children, and the uncrowning of Christ the King? Not that we want the new normal a la Klaus Schwab either, but it is increasingly appearing that if we want to reach the triumph of the Immaculate Heart promised by Lady of Fatima, the only way is through this mess, as Robert Frost may have said. And it shouldn't be a surprise. Our Lady of Fatima promised as much when she spoke of the final battle between our Lord and the reign of Satan, particularly referencing those of us who defend life and family. As Sister Lucia revealed, Our Lady said, and I quote, Don't be afraid, because anyone who works for the sanctity of marriage and the family will always be fought and opposed in every way, because this is the decisive issue. It looks like suffering is ahead. And even if God were to destroy the wicked and restore Christendom tomorrow, still it would be worth thinking about these things and preparing ourselves and our families to give up everything for Christ. After all, he told us, pick up your cross daily and follow me. So, as Christmas draws to a close, and Epiphany Tide is with us, let's recall some of the lessons that the baby Jesus gives us about shedding our blood for him. It's true that Christmas is a time of great joy and hope and light shining in the darkness, but the birth of our divine Savior is actually marked with suffering. The blood of the cross and a trail of blood. In the Gospels, our Lord says, I am come to cast fire on the earth, and what will I but that the fire being kindled? And I have a baptism wherewith I am to be baptized, he said, and how I am straightened until it be accomplished. You can read that in Luke 12, 49 and 50. In fact, right from the beginning, according to the church, even in Our Lady's womb, our Lord thirsted for the cross. He came to suffer for mankind, to make propitiation on our behalf, and to restore us to God his Father. His life was filled with his longing to suffer for us. We all know that it began with the discomfort of the stable, but the sufferings of Christmas don't end with mere discomfort. 
When the baby Jesus is bound in swaddling clothes and laid in a wooden manger, do we not already see the suffering Christ bound by his enemies and then stretched out on the wooden cross? When we see him laid in a manger, the feeding trough for brute beasts, can we not hear him saying in the Gospels, He that eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. And that's not all. Let's see the first guests gathered round Christ at Christmas, and, you know, not so much the shepherds and the wise men. I mean the mystical guests of the cross-manger suffering shown to us in the church's liturgy in the days after Christmas. So let's look. On the 26th, we saw St. Stephen the deacon, the first martyr. Now think about that. The first day after Christmas, we celebrated the feast of the first martyr, the witness who shed his blood for Christ. You remember the song, On the Feast of Stephen, the snow lay round about. Well, that's it. On the 26th of December, the feast of St. Stephen. So what about the 27th? It was St. John, the beloved disciple. My namesake, thanks be to God. And while divine wisdom did not give him the crown of martyrdom per se, he was a martyr in his will. They actually tried. He was scourged and then thrown into a cauldron of boiling oil before the Latin gate in Rome. Yes, he was miraculously preserved. That would have killed anyone. But on his part, he accepted this as a martyrdom and willed to shed his blood for Christ. And then the next day, on the 28th, we are met by the holy innocents who shed their blood in the place of Christ. We all know of Herod the tyrant who killed all the baby boys in his rage against our newborn king, and they too are treated as martyrs by the church who sings of these sweet little infants playing with their martyrs' crowns and palms beneath the altar of God. So is that all? Well, no. On the 29th, we're met by St. Thomas Becket of Canterbury, who was killed in his own cathedral. He too was a martyr, and while the others shed their blood for Christ, St. Thomas shed it for Christ and his holy church, defending her liberty against state interference with the life and mission of the church. What do you think St. Thomas Becket would have said today when so many of our supposed shepherds meekly obeyed the state in the lockdown, closing their doors, and then going along with this or that immoral dictate? So, what is the baby Jesus teaching us through his church about martyrdom? It's a gift, and that he bestows a gift on those whom he loves. He loves his martyrs. He wants them to surround his crib, and he wants to hold them close to himself. These martyrs comfort him on his hard wooden crib, and surely the thought of their love comforted him as he hung on the wooden cross. The crown of martyrdom is no curse, but a great grace, conforming those whom God chooses to their divine Savior. And you know, that's not even all. Eight days after this Savior was born, the octave day of Christmas, we saw the feast of his circumcision, presentation in the temple, you might call it. Well, these few drops of blood, his precious blood, are of infinite value. This quick, sharp suffering, this would have been enough 
the fathers of the church teach, to save all mankind. But the Christ child wants to shed all of his precious blood for us. And so he offers these first drops merely as a pledge of his love and a promise of our redemption. This pledge is a token of all that he does for us. What have we done for Christ? What are we doing for him? What ought we do for him? Martyrdom is a grace that would allow us to give our whole selves for him. We see in his pledge again in Epiphany Tide when we recall the three gifts brought by the Magi. The baby Jesus is given gold as a king and frankincense as a divine priest, but he's also given myrrh because he is a prophet and sacrifice. Even as a baby, in the carol about the three kings, myrrh is mine, sings Balthazar. Its bitter perfume breathes a life of gathering gloom, sorrowing, sighing, bleeding, dying, sealed in a stone-cold tomb. This precious resin, myrrh, was used for burial, and indeed Nicodemus bought 100 pounds of it and of aloes for Christ's burial. Did Our Lady and St. Joseph recognize the bitterness of this gift? We can be sure that the Christ child knew what it meant. So even the Magi's gifts, which we just celebrated, and the Epiphany are marked with blood, calling us to mingle ours with Christ's. Pious Catholic parents of old could often be heard telling their children about the glorious martyrs, and even the crown of martyrdom, as a ticket straight to heaven avoiding the sufferings of purgatory, and a particular glory in heaven to sit with the few martyrs that there will be there. Well, probably many, but nonetheless. Some may dismiss that kind of talk today as pious legend, but you know, the doctors of the church uphold this notion of going straight to heaven after martyrdom. St. Thomas Aquinas writes that, and I quote, Pain suffered in this life voluntarily cleanses much more than pain inflicted after death, hence in purgatory. Why is this? Well, to explain it, St. Thomas Aquinas quotes St. Augustine, and I quote, If anything needing to be cleansed be found in those, meaning in those martyrs, it is cut off by the sickle of suffering, end quote. St. Augustine even says that it would be insulting to pray for the repose of the souls of martyrs. And let's remember, too, that martyr actually means witness. The martyr's witness to the love of Christ is the most effective means of spreading the truth of Christ. The third-century writer Tertullian wrote these fierce and fiery words to the Roman emperor and his government, and I quote, your cruelty, however exquisite, does not help you stamp us out. The more often you mow us down, the more in numbers we grow. For the blood of the martyrs is the seed of Christians. Tertullian continued, For who sees our stubbornness in the face of death without looking into the cause? Who, after this inquiry, does not embrace our doctrine? And when he has embraced it, who does not desire to suffer so that he may share the fullness of God's grace and obtain from God complete forgiveness by giving in exchange his blood. For martyrdom secures the remission of all offenses. Tertullian added, 
It is for this reason that we return thanks on the very spot for your death sentences. That was Tertullian to the emperor. My dear friends, if the only way is through, or as Churchill rendered it, if you're going through hell, then keep going. Let's not be afraid of martyrdom. Without going out looking for it or having delusions of grandeur of some kind, let's long for it. Our blood may be the means which God puts an end to wickedness. Life is very short. Eternity is very long. Perhaps the sufferings ahead will be fiercer and longer than those of these companions of the crib, but let's cleave to God with all of our love. Let's hope in him. Because we already have the been promises, you know, that we won't be tried beyond our strength, that his grace will be sufficient for us, and that after those sufferings, however long they are, the eternal glory and joy of being with God will make them seem very short indeed. In St. Ignatius's spiritual exercises, Christ the King addresses these words to each of us, and I quote, It is my will to conquer the whole world and all my enemies, and thus to enter into the glory of my Father. Therefore, whoever wishes to join me in this enterprise must be willing to labor with me, that by following me in suffering, he may follow me in glory. End quote. So let's get ready to follow him, to count martyrdom as a blessing, and long for the crown, and to be counted among that glorious few who shed their blood for and in imitation of our Savior. For LifeSite News, this is John Henry Weston. May God bless you. We have been warning everyone who would listen and attempting to build up alternative platforms to continue to reach you. We have established ourselves on all sorts of platforms I'm going to explain in a minute, but the most important thing to do is come direct to LifeSiteNews.com because there we will always be. But we've also established ourselves on platforms like Parler and MeWe and our videos can be found on Rumble as well. We would love to see each of you on those platforms too, as they are not censoring or suppressing the truth that we are sharing every single day. More than these alternative social media platforms, we highly encourage you to subscribe to our email newsletter. We have really built up a large list of loyal readers on our email marketing platform, and we have prepared several backup plans for, well, I want to say if, but it's really when, we are removed from our current platform as well. Additionally, I really encourage you, as I said before, to make it a regular habit to go directly to lifesitenews.com. Make it your homepage. While all of these different platforms are an excellent way to curate your news, going directly to our website means that you will never encounter any censorship or sudden loss of LifeSite News reporting. Here's the thing. We will never stop sharing the truth. We founded this organization with the mission to be the life, family, and culture source for men and women who seek to know the truth. We have established a track record of honest reports, and this will never stop, even with censorship happening around the globe. Again, I'm encouraging you to join us on Parler, MeWe, Rumble, and on our email list. You can find all the direct links in the description of this video. May God bless you and keep you, and we are so thankful that you've chosen to follow and support LifeSite News. I'm John Henry Weston, co-founder and editor-in-chief of LifeSite News.